This morning, I want to tell you about Jesus. Because if you really truly encounter Jesus, if you really have this this connection with him, it makes us want to quit trying to be round pegs in a square hole. We're so often tired of trying to force ourselves into the expectations of the culture, of the religion, of the political correctness. We're exhausting ourselves trying to to make things fit. And some of you that are seated here today have just stopped. You have quit. Because of what has happened to you or because of what you have done, you have been categorized. Your options have been minimalized. And you have felt you have come to a dead end. You are hopeless. Some fifth graders were asked to come back the next day and report in class how many stars they could count at night. And so the next day, the teacher asked them, and and one fifth grader said, well, I I counted a hundred. Ooh. And one said, oh, I got a thousand. And and this girl said, no, no, I got a million. And one kid said, I got three. And the teacher said, how in the world could you just get three? He said, I guess we just have a small backyard. (laughs) Hopelessness comes from a small backyard. That when others are seeing these millions of places that we could go and journey to, you're pretty sure that you aren't invited on the journey. And you're stuck in this small place and you can't get out. Suhana felt that way. At age 13, in Kolkata, India, she was trafficked. She was sold as a sex slave. At age 16, International Justice Mission, along with the police, rescued her. She was put in a safe place in an aftercare facility where they began to to educate her and counsel her and give her the ability to live life and and eventually sent her out where she could do some work. And, And unfortunately, it didn't turn out the way they wanted to because when she went out to go to work, she met a young man who she really liked and he eventually talked her into leaving the security of those who had protected her. And he, he helped her run away, and after they had run away, he then sold her to a pimp. And she entered back into sexual slavery. They transported her to Mumbai, which is a city of 18 million people, with an enormous amount of red light districts. And each of those districts can have, each, can have almost up to 10,000 people workers in the district. So she just disappeared. And yet her friends in Kolkata did not want to give up on her. And so they began to investigate. They tried to find out where she was. And finally, one of the police inspectors said to them, it's impossible. Give up. You will never, ever find her. But they were determined that they would go after her. They would interview whoever they could, including that young man who had led her away. But they found themselves in the proverbial finding a finding a needle in a haystack. And here's the thing: is, is my team was unwilling to give up. The whole office wasn't giving up at that point. 
And so they went back several times and met with this young boy and pressed him for more and more information. And he got a little more and a little more and a little more. And each time we would get a little more information, we would send it to our colleagues in Mumbai. And slowly we, we narrowed down the area where she was. Myself and an investigator flew to Mumbai that day and we did some surveillance on the area where she was. We spent a couple of days and at one point in that surveillance, for the first time in my life, I actually saw her face to face. And to be honest, I wanted to just grab her right then and there and take her back. But I knew that wasn't the right thing to do. So we had to develop a plan. So at that point, we had Samita fly out to Mumbai as well. Because Samita and Suhana had a relationship together. They knew each other. And we knew we needed Samita there once we rescued her. When they sent us an undercover picture from here, and I see her face, we were doing surveillance in the field waiting for her and this female trafficker to get into an auto rickshaw. We were going to surround the auto rickshaw and re-rescue her. But she came out about 20 minutes before the police got there. She began to leave. Again, we were worried because they called the police and they said, well, we're 20 minutes away. And I said, well, she's leaving and traffic is heavy and we're going to lose her. And if we lose her, we might never find her again. And so then my investigator and myself literally forced the auto rickshaw to the side of the road and we surrounded it. I was just thinking to myself at this time that I'm not letting anybody get between me and her. And I'm not letting anyone approach. I was not going to let her get out of our hands again. Just as we were about to reach the place where we did our sex work each day, two men came on bikes and stopped the rickshaw we were in. So I was worried that there must be something wrong if people were looking for me by name. The thing that I remember the most of this day is when Smita showed up. And, sorry. Because when Smita Singh showed up and sat down next to her, Suhana melted and she began to cry. She began to talk to Samita about how she had given up and thinking no one was going to come for her again. After that, Smita from IJM came. And then I started crying. And then she realized that we love her and that's why we've come to find her again. And that was just amazing for me to be able to hold her and make sure that she just stays safe. That day that we rescued her again, I was able to call that police investigator. What I said was, do you remember Suhana, that girl you said it would be impossible, she's gone forever, we'll never find her. We just re-rescued her. He was speechless. So we're not in India. But some of you who sit here today feel trapped. You feel like you're in your own little backyard and there is no one there that's going to help get you out. I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is a journey fanatic. Excuse the, the coarseness of this illustration, but you'll see what I mean as I get through it. Pam and I like to go to concerts, and so we went to a concert in Cleveland, and it was intermission, and we came out, and you know that when it's intermission, everybody heads to the restrooms. And you know whose line is always longer. 
And so there was the men's room, and there were two doors going in the men's room, and I was standing in a line, and there's two lines going in the men's room, and then over was the ladies' restroom, and their line went from Cleveland to Toledo. <laughs> and so they're all just trying to hurry, and, get, and, and the guys are there, and, and I'm in line, and I look over, and there's this line of men, and one lady in her 20s standing in line with the men. And they're all looking at her, and she's laughing. She says, I just, I, I, I can't wait, and that line's too long, and your line is short. So she stood there with us. So I finally got into the restroom, and I looked over to the other line going into the other door, and there she was, only this time now she's kind of like this. And sure enough, she just keeps moving, and she gets into a stall. She comes back out, and then she goes out laughing and making fun of her friends who are still halfway between Toledo and Cleveland. Now, see, the the moral of the story is this, that sometimes need overruns protocol. So, Jesus is in Judea, and things are getting a little heated with leadership. And he's not yet ready to confront the Jewish leaders or the Roman leaders. So, he says to his disciples, we're going to have to go from here over to Galilee. Now, if you're going to go from Judea to Galilee, the straight shot is to head directly north. I think we have a map here for you. So you see Judea, and if you go up beyond Samaria, you'll end up in Galilee. The Sea of Galilee's up there. But the Jews would not go straight up. What they would do is they would head up towards Samaria, then they would take a right and cross the Jordan River and go up Transjordan and then take a left on the other side of Samaria and get up into Galilee. Because they said, we do not want the dust of the Samaritan's land to be upon our feet because it will make us unclean. So what in the world did the Samaritans do to the Jews? Well, understand that after the third king of Israel died, Solomon... The kingdom was split in north and south. And in 721 B.C., the Assyrians invaded the north, and they repopulated. They took took all of those Jews, a lot of the Jews, out of the country and dispersed them throughout their known world and repopulated with their own pagan, idol-worshipping citizens. The Jews detested them being in their land, but eventually they began to intermarry, and they took their gods, and they took their religions, and they mixed them together. Eventually, the southern kingdom was invaded by Babylon. They were gone for 70 years. They came back in, and they decided to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed in Jerusalem. The Jews in Samaria came down and said, Ooh, great, you're going to build the temple. We want to help. And the Jews in in Jerusalem said to those coming from the north, Samaria, they said, We don't want your help, you dirty half-breeds. Get out. So they left. They went back up to their own land of Samaria. And on the mountain of Gerizim, they built their own temple. They created their own Abrahamic faith. They edited the scriptures and they formulated their own worship expressions. And there was this intense hatred that built between the Jews and the Samaritans. Until the day came that when the Jews were strong enough, they invaded Samaria, went to Mount Gerizim, and destroyed that temple. Jews hate Samaritans. But Jesus said, 
I'm not going to let anything get between me and her. And so a follower of Jesus named John records what transpired at that moment. John 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus had a need. He had to go do something. And it wasn't geographical. It wasn't, I have, to, I have to go straight because it's the shortest distance. Jesus didn't, that's not what drove him. It wasn't geographical. It was incarnational because Jesus always said this, that what I do, I only do because the Father does it, and therefore I do what he does. And what I do is what he's told me to do, and if he didn't tell me to do it, I wouldn't do it, and I have this need. God is sending me there because there is someone there that needs the presence of the Almighty. It is an incarnational drawing that I have. I must go there. There's this, this song that the church has sung for a while now that I just, I love it. And in the words of these, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. If you know the chorus, sing it. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The song is written about when Jesus dialogued with his followers and they were worried about their future and he said, do you not know that the father counts the hairs on your head? And don't you know that, that there are two sparrows, the least of the birds, that are sold for a penny, the least of the coinage? And if your heavenly father knows about those sparrows and that coin, and they are just the least, wouldn't he know about you? You say, wait, 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 wait. That, that song, is, it, it's really just about the people that, that are really good. They're the people that, that, that make God happy. Yet Jesus at this moment says, his eye is on this woman in the city of Sychar, and I've got to get to her because you'll find out that she's not really good and she's not great and she is not worth it to anybody else. But God says, I got my eye on her. And Jesus says, I've got to get there, even if it means breaking protocol because I have a need that overruns protocol. And so John continues to explain. He says this in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. It's noon in the Middle East. If you've ever been in the Middle East and it's noon, it's horrifically hot. She has just made her way from the town on a half-mile trek on a dusty road to a well. Now, anybody with half a brain would go out in the morning when the birds are still singing, when the dew is still on the plants, when it's cool. Because that's when everybody goes out to get the water. But she will not go out in the morning to get the water because she doesn't want to deal with the sneers, the ridicule, the nasty words that will come her way. She would much rather put up with the heat of the day and go by herself because she has been ostracized and rejected. Now, as she arrives, there's usually no one there. And to to her amazement and then to her disappointment, there sits a man and he is a Jew. What would a Jew be doing here? To her surprise, when she gets to the well, he says to her, would you give me something to drink? We don't see it in our translation, but in reality, her response was very sarcastic. Her response was like this. Oh, yeah, we're dirt to you until you need a drink. And Jesus responds, not in a harassing way and not in a negative way, but he says, if you only knew that there's a gift that God has sent to you, and if you only knew who it is that's bringing it to you, it would totally amaze you. He's saying to the lady, listen, it's time to unpack your pain. How do we unpack our pain? By letting go of our preconceptions, of, of our narrow backyard. See, she is ready. She's anticipated one more slap to her value. She's expecting to be beaten, and Jesus shows up with a party. She is not in a place to really understand what he's about to do. And I think we need to understand, because somehow in our religious world, we think that Jesus is out to prove once and for all how ugly and nasty we are, and that is not his intention at all. Let me tell you about Jesus. Our failures do not repulse him. This woman has been divorced five times. Now catch it. In her culture, she cannot file for divorce. Only the man can file for divorce. Which means five times she was married and thought that she had a relationship with the last, and five times a man said to her, you're not worth it, get out. Five times. How many of you have ever felt rejection before? Ever felt rejection? When I was a junior in college, it was before Pam and I started dating. I thought I'd make that clear. <laughs> this very beautiful girl came on campus for the first time. She transferred in, and she just she looked like a model. She was just beautiful, and I got to know her a little bit, and I just thought, well, give it a shot. I'll ask her out. She said yes. I considered it a mercy date, but that's all right. I'm taking her. 
so we went out and we and I, I drove with, I drove her and we met some friends and we went to a pizza place and we sat down at the table and we're you know we're having an okay time getting to know each other and and they bring us our drinks our soft drinks and they've got their glasses and I got we got our glasses here and the and the table is a little bit too close to them and a little bit far from us so I grab the table and I start to push it like this and by mistake I push it down as I push it down both our drinks flop like this and spill into our laps. I overcompensate, I push it back, and their glasses go poop into their laps. Now we all have big wet spots in places you don't want wet spots. She kind of laughed. <laughs> and we finished our pizza, we got in the car, and I said, let's go. And I started to say, we're going to go someplace else. She said, well, you need to take me back. I said, well, it'll dry. She said, no, you need to take me back. So we got back to the to the dorm, and, and I said to her, I'm sorry about tonight, and, and I'd like to just take you out again. She said, I don't think that'll be necessary. <laughs> I said, okay. See, I understand the sting of rejection just from one date. Can you imagine the sting of rejection? Five times divorced. Five times sinned against, because in those days, they could, they could divorce you ladies for just burning the toast. Five times shot down. So you understand that this girl is the poster child for rejection. She's not in the place to receive anything because she's anticipating that life will dump on her again. In fact, her current guy won't even give her his name, only his bed. So she anticipates rejection. What do you anticipate? Let me tell you about Jesus. Our culture cannot dissuade him. See, here's the other problem. She's a woman. She lives in a culture where men actually pray, Oh God, thank you that I'm not a woman. See, if any of you guys pray that now, you don't say it out loud. But they, they would pray it publicly. God, thank Why? Because women were not treated well. And especially a rabbi, a teacher, would never speak to a woman in public. And especially without her husband there. You just don't do that. And here's Jesus speaking to this woman. But she didn't understand what Jesus was like because he was busting through protocols to get to her. He wanted to get to the heart and Jesus would bust through any protocol to get to the heart. What she would later probably understand is that Jesus even had married and unmarried women following him, hanging out with him. You don't do that. They were actually serving him, the Scripture says, which is the word diakonos, which is the word deacon. They were being deacons before deacons were appointed. Jesus had women in his inner circle. Women were not to read or study the Scriptures. So Jesus goes to the house of Mary and Martha. And you've got to understand that, that the women had their place. The women would go into a, lo- a part of the house where they could be, and they would prepare the meal. They would get everything ready, and the men would have their part of the house where they would sit with the rabbi, and he would teach them. So Martha's doing her thing. She's in there. She's getting you know, all the stuff ready to go, and she's making all the great food. And Mary's nowhere to be found because Mary has left the proper place and walked into the part of the house that is for men. And where there were maybe men, she plops herself right down in front of Jesus. 
Martha comes in looking and says, she can't do that. That's just not protocol. She can't be there. And Jesus makes the most amazing statement. He said, Martha, you just, you're messing with stuff that's just not really important. But Mary has chosen. Now, watch what he said. Mary has chosen. She has the intellectual right to make a decision here beyond her culture. And I affirm that. And what she chose was this, that she would sit at the feet of the rabbi. And understand, when you sit at the feet of the rabbi, not only are you ready ready to listen and understand, but you are being trained to also be a teacher of what the rabbi gives to you. And Jesus said, I really like that. In fact, that's better than what you've chosen. It was radical. Jesus said, I will bust through your culture. There is a journey that Jesus has for us that goes beyond man-made barriers. What is holding you back? Family, boundaries, religious boundaries, cultural boundaries. What is it that's holding you back when Jesus says, I want to walk you right through that thing? Because that's where the journey will take you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Our inabilities will not confound him. Somehow, she finally embraces the fact that there is a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, a man who was talking to her, and that just doesn't happen, but she embraces it. Somehow she embraces that he's going to get water for her out of that well without a rope or a bucket, and it's at least 75 feet deep. But she somehow embraces it. She somehow embraces that he's going to give her living water, and and that terminology in her day meant water that is moving, a stream, a a river, but there's not one close by, but somehow he's going to give her living water. She just can't comprehend that. But she embraces it, and then she begins to understand that the reason she's embracing it is because long before he got there, he had embraced her that God had his eye on her. See, some of you in this place right now, and I so strongly believe this, you've just thought that you're wandering around and just sitting at your well and nobody cares and you can't get free and God has had his eye on you for a long time. And the culture has said to you, no, you don't deserve it or you can't do this or you're not qualified or, or you have been penalized and your, and your boundaries have, have drawn in on you and, and your options are limited. And God's saying, there are no limits to the options I can give you in this journey. I'm coming to you. And what turns all of this and pivots it so she begins to understand that this is more, more than just physical water is when he says, go, go get your husband. And she says, oh, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you've got you got five. And now you're living with this guy. He won't even give you his name. And she begins to understand, that, oh, there's something, there's something spiritual, something prophetic happening here. And John explains it this way, John 4, 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. She's right there. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and the spirit, worshipers must, spirit, must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. 
And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You know, you, you think that perhaps when you got to the whole thing about the, the husbands and all that, that she's changing the subject, but, you know, for the first time in her life, she really is on subject. The very thing that she's been trying to find in all her years. Because he said, okay, you said that God will be in Jerusalem. We say God's Mount Gerizim, but I just have a simple question. Where is God? Because i got to get to him. Help me find God. And Jesus responds to her. He's right here with you. He's at this moment, so all you've got to do is just be honest. Take off your mask. You've wondered when you can quit pretending. Who will accept you if you quit pretending? If you open up your heart, will it get beaten up again? Who can you trust that will not abuse you? Who will accept you? And Jesus says, it's me, and I'm the Messiah. I love the words that Max Lucado pens when he says this. Silently, the divine surgeon reached into his kit and pulled out the needle of faith and a thread of hope. And in the shade of Jacob's well, he stitched her wounded soul back together again. It wasn't perfection that Jesus was looking for. He was looking for honesty, someone who would trust him and take off the mask. See, you've wanted to stop pretending, but you're just not sure what will happen to you. You're not sure how God will deal with you. And all he's saying is just spirit and truth. So just be honest. Take off the mask. You can trust me. Because the honesty of this moment is this, that I've come to tell you that it's time for you to join the journey. In the end, I'm just one of so many girls forced into prostitution who were lost, but now are found. You see, my story doesn't end with being rescued from a brothel and running away, back to the sex trade, back to the life I hated with everything that was in me. My story is that there was another miracle, a second one. Jim didn't give up on me. They searched for me and they found me rescued me again and this time I finally felt what I used to only dream about that God sent these people and brought me out of hell to a good place and even though I know it's going to take time for me to forgive and be fully free this time I know this I don't need to run anymore this time the people who did this to me aren't going to win love is and because of that I know I will make it.
So the lady left when the disciples showed up with food. She runs back in town and says, come see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. Could this be the Messiah? See, this is amazing because this woman was the first person that Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah. And the first evangelist to say, come see the Messiah. And so when she gets them and they start coming out of the city to come see him, they don't care for her, but they think, well, this could this be? And so they're coming out. Jesus turns to his disciples who brought him food and said, I don't need your food. They said, where'd you get the food? He said, I don't, I don't need your food because I've, I've just been nourished. And he said, you say four months and we're going to have harvest. I tell you, look, the harvest is plentiful right now. He's saying, embrace these people beyond protocol and beyond your bias and your prejudice. They need God embrace. So I say to you today, you that are on the journey with Jesus, there is not one person in this world that does not deserve to be embraced no matter what their lifestyle because they need to walk the journey and Jesus can change them on the journey. So whatever it is around you that you've been hesitant or you feel uncomfortable, Jesus is saying to us, oh, invite them, join the journey. Not as a holy person to an unholy and not as a pious to, to some rebellious piece of trash, but as a person who understands the change that has been made in their lives. And he said, oh, come on, walk with me because I found the Messiah. And some of you sit here today and you say, uh, I've been seated been seated at this well for a long time and I thought that's all I had and I thought that I was in this brokenness all my life I want to tell you that Jesus' eye has been upon you and your failures and your pain and the abuse you've received will not stop him from getting to you and your inabilities will not confound him he will take you and he will change you but you still but first you need to just let him embrace you Because he'll forgive you for your past. 
and give you a future. You're tired of trying to fit in life. You meet Jesus and it all just starts to fit together. So before we dismiss this morning, I really want to give an invitation to those people who who want to say, I want to respond to Jesus because Jesus has come here today to say to you, come join the journey. It's time for me to take you home. Now we're sitting out here all by yourself. I'm taking you. And I want to say to you as part of this community of faith, who we are, we're people walking this journey, loving Jesus and finding water wells where violated and hurt and abused people are to say, come join the journey. And so in a moment, I'm going to have you stand. And when I do, I'm going to ask you to just stay right where you are. Don't, don't leave quite yet. But when you stand, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to just turn to the person next to you and say, would you like to join the journey? Would you like to come to Jesus? And when that person says yes, that person who asked and the person who said yes are going to come join me right here. We're going to have a prayer together. I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you, but it's a step of faith. So often Jesus said, with your inward faith, there needs to be an outward action to help seal it. But you're just tired of life the way it is, and you say, I, I just need to join this journey and walk with Jesus because he's come for you. His eye is on you. So you may be in the balcony, in the galleries, the main floor. I invite you in just a moment to just turn to the people that you may not even known them until this moment, but just say, would you like to join the journey? When they say yes, come join me right here, and we'll have a prayer together. So would you stand? And as you do, just turn to the people around you, in front of you, behind you, and just say, would you like to join the journey? You may have asked them before. Ask them again. And come join me right here. Come to Jesus right this, this morning. Join me right here. There you go. Come on. That's it. That's it. There you go. You're in the balcony. You just come down the gallery steps. We'll wait for you. Just join me right here. You may have been thinking, I'm, I'm new to this place. I'm not sure what you're going to do, but now I see other people going. I wish I would have. Just turned to the person next to you and say, hey, change my mind. And they'll come with you. That's it. That's it. You guys had no idea that Jesus had his eye on you this morning, did you? He broke through and he, he, he sought you out. And you have no comprehension how greatly you are loved in this place. There's a whole lot of people that'll take you just the way you are. Oh, there may be some people out there that, that are a little judgmental and, and we'll slap them around. We'll get them around for you. But there are a whole bunch of people here who understand the brokenness of life and they're here to help heal you. And so we're going to pray a prayer that comes from the scriptures and I'm going to invite you to pray it from your heart. It just begins this process of this journey with Jesus. And these folks out here who have prayed that prayer in the past and are living that faith in that journey are going to pray it to give you encouragement. So we just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I'm tired of this life and I want to give you my life. For you promised that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me for my sins 
and cleanse me from all impurity. So I tell you, I've failed. I've sinned. Please forgive me. And I believe right now you're cleansing me and I don't have to carry this anymore. You also promised that if I put my faith in you, I become a child of God. So I declare I'm your child. I'm in your family and I'm walking this journey with you. Now guide me, Jesus, that I may please you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. Because this is a journey, this is more than just a decision at a moment. It is a decision to walk in a journey, and we want to help you on that journey. We have some gifts for you. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to go with Jeff Williams. We're going to head right out this door to the choir room, and nothing weird or wacky is going to happen to you back there. And the people that have come with you will wait for you. It'll take just a few minutes, but we want to answer any questions and give you some, some gifts that will guide you on this journey. But we are so thankful that you're part of the journey because we're having a blast on this journey and learning a lot and glad you're with us. And so I'm going to ask Jeff to just start that way. And if you'll head up, follow Jeff right there. Just follow him. If you have trouble with steps, you can go out the back and the usher will, will get you there. We welcome you on this journey. God bless you. That's exciting. So now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.